to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have nots, we are not afraid. Our stories are afraid. They are not perfect. We believe the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1, 17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our frayed knots. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And this is Afraid Not Podcast. Thanks for joining us for episode number 98. And this special series we're in right now, our summer 2022 series of looking at stories of women in the Bible in Old Testament and in the New Testament. So today we're going to talk about two special women. One of them is going to be Esther from the Old Testament, and then we will flip over and talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus in the New Testament. And so today, we are really glad you're listening in. We wish we could have Esther in person to talk with her and interview her. But you know what? What we can do, we can talk with each other about the stories that we see written in Scripture for us to read and study right now. And this is one of the most amazing stories in the Bible. It's a lovely story. It's beautifully written with all kinds of details. And we get to know a lot about a woman by name in the Bible. And a woman that has a name in the Bible. What? <laughs> it's pretty exciting. So what we're going to do at the beginning is look just at the book of Esther. And it's 10 chapters long. So if you wanted to read it, pause it and read this. It really wouldn't take you very long at all to read through it. It's pretty short. Although it's longer than some of the sections about women in the Bible that we can find. Some of them are pretty short. So Esther's pretty special in biblical lore, and we can learn a lot from her. And hopefully you'll see in this story today encouragement for yourself in being brave and encouragement in trusting in the Lord and in praying through whatever situations you find yourself in. So there are actually only two books of the Bible named after women. That's right. This one, and the other one is Ruth, who we talked about in the last week's episode. Right. So this is set sometime in the years of 486 to 464 B.C. The reason that that's known is because the reign of the king of Persia at that time, who is named Artaxerxes, also known as Ahasuerus, both of those are the same person, and in different writings he's called Artaxerxes, sometimes Ahasuerus. He's not the only one in the story that has two names. The main heroine of the story, Esther, also has two names as well. Her other name is Hadassah, and Hadassah is a beautiful name that means myrtle. It comes from the word for myrtle, and it means fragrance. So we can tell when we look at this story, although it's an anonymously written book, we don't really know if Mordecai wrote it or if someone else wrote it or if this was just spoken, passed down word of mouth, like a folk story that was written down much later. We don't know the the author, but we do know that 
the time period that this happens is about a hundred years or so after Daniel, the book of Daniel, the uh, circumstances that took place with Daniel and his three friends that were taken captive. So the whole nation of Israel was exiled to Babylon and they lost their homeland. They were taken from their land and they were made to serve the people in Babylon. Then Babylon lost control of things and Persia took over. And Persia was gigantic at this time in world history. Absolutely huge. It had 127 provinces. And the place where this took place, um, the Bible tells us it was in Susa. And the place where that is, if you were to go visit right now today, you would go to the southwestern part of modern Iran to find Susa, the place where this story would have taken place. Okay, so looking at the first part of Esther, we see in the beginning of the book of Esther that we open with finding out an important an important uh, feast that's going on, an important banquet. The king, who was very uh, satisfied with himself and wanted to show off all the time, definitely a very proud person, <laughs> very wealthy, and wanted to be extremely extravagant over his 127 provinces. He had a gigantic, enormous, out-of-control party that lasted more than half a year. 180 days to start out with, this feast lasted. This is unbelievable. So a, a party for over five months. So food, drinks, fancy clothing, people having special feasts, and then they would rest, and then they would come back, and then they'd have special feasts again, and then they would rest some more. Then they It just was this ongoing thing. And, and then after those 180 days, they weren't satisfied that they were done, so they had another seven days of feasting. So we're talking 187 days of feasting is starting. There's a lot of parties in this book, my friends. Lots (laughs) of parties in the book of Esther. So the garden of the king's palace, the court of the garden, is where they had this final seven-day feast. And this one, which was not um, the way every single one of the parties was, this one in particular was just for the men. So King Xerxes... Artaxerxes, and also known as Ahasuerus, was having just the men, his all of his famous, you know, his courtiers and noblemen had this fancy feast. And there are quite cool descriptions about the decorations. In fact, I mean, it's kind of amazing. Some of the Bible stories we read jump from huge chunks of timeline not, not told to us and all kinds of things missing. Well, in this the beginning of Esther 1, oh my goodness, you we can get a lot of details, details galore. Mm-hmm. We know that the curtains were white cotton and violet. There were violet hangings fastening with cords with fine linen and purple, silver rods, marble pillars, couches of gold and silver, on and on and on. And the fancy uh, things that were used also went even for their drinking goblets. Each golden goblet was fashioned in a way so that it looked unique to itself, and the people had they had precious stones in them, and um, there was an edict that everyone could drink as much as or as little as they wanted, which is actually, the, the king could have said, you're under compulsion, and everyone would have to take a drink every time he did. 
<laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> but this particular story takes place when it's not a drink under compulsion, and everyone was told to do as they desired. At the same time this party's happening, there's another party that the queen is having, Queen Vashti. She's having a party for all the women. And we don't know much about that party, but we know that the women were in the palace and they were having a feast. So, at the time, when I do you think that they were quite drunk at this point? Absolutely. There, Absolutely. We're talking 187 days of mostly nothing but eating and drinking and not drinking water. So, yes. They're they smashed. Were smashed. <laughs> so, they king, were on the floor drunk, yes. Yes. The king, his heart was merry with wine, according to Esther 1, verse 10. And he told his seven eunuchs and those that meant that they were castrated so they served the the king and did his every command these because the job of those eunuchs really was to take care of the women in the palace mm. the other uh not just queen vashti but his other he had many women yeah. so that those eunuchs were to take care of were in charge of those women so in order for them to for the king to not be concerned what he was doing with those women Right. Then they had they that taken care of. Castrated. <laughs> Lovely day and time they're living in. <laughs> so they decide, the king decides, I would like to show off Queen Vashti for all these drunk men. And because he, she was beautiful to look at. Yes. The Bible says that. Yeah. She, her beauty, she was lovely to look at. And he commanded her to come with her royal crown. Now let's take a moment and just discuss this. We see in our scripture that it was specifically come in her royal crown. We do not have specifics, but Jill, let's talk about this for a minute. So it could have been something a little bit, well, a whole lot horrible. Yes. Yeah. So he doesn't say, I want her in her crown and her robe and her jewels. None of that. Just her crown Mm -hmm. is the only thing mentioned. There are many theories out there that speculate from different Jewish sources, possibly, that she could have been called to come naked with just the crown. With this entirely drunk group of only men. So we don't know that for sure. But even if she was not commanded to come without her clothes, she knew she'd be walking into a situation where every single man there would be just staring at her at her figure, uh, just gaping at her. And I just, can you can you imagine how horrible, knowing the, the situation she would have been placed in? She was basically just called in to entertain. It wasn't, yeah. hey, come talk to me. I have something I need to share with you. Mm-hmm. We want to hear your thoughts on these things we're talking about. It was absolutely not that. It was basically, we just want to look at you. And we don't know the specifics of how she felt, but we do know her answer. Verse 12 says, But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. She may have been really enjoying her own party and just irritated that he would ask her to leave her party that she was the main hostess of. Maybe she just was mad at him. Maybe she just was tired of being treated like a slave. I don't know. And again, it could have been that she just revolted against, I'm not going to come without my clothes. But whatever those reasons were, we don't know. She said no. And this caused the king to be absolutely enraged. And well, she has basically <laughs> embarrassed him and denied him in front of everyone there. And, and everyone is there. The most powerful man in the world at this time. 
yes. the most powerful country in the world, and he's the king. So this is a big deal. And he is not only mad at her, he wants to make a statement. And with his eunuch's advice, he decides, not only will I never see her again, she basically had to live the entire rest of her life enclosed in a the king's harem. She never got to see the light of day again, basically. But he was going to replace her immediately. She was no longer the queen. And so they decided... Do you find it interesting that he didn't even just kill her? Like, it's almost like he wanted her to watch. Yes. I will replace you, and you're going to watch it happen. And you're going to suffer. You're going to be kept a prisoner. Mm -hmm. And she she probably was never allowed to go to any of the special occasions that ever happened in the remaining time that she lived. So this is a big deal. Um, The eunuchs give this idea for basically a beauty pageant (laughs) to the king. And he's like, great idea, guys. Let's move on that. Guys, this story has it all. We've got (laughs) beauty pageants. We've got parties. We've got... Home decor. Home decor details. (laughs) We've got revenge coming up. We've got murder plots. It's got everything. Reversal of destiny. So here's where (laughs) enter... Esther. She's an innocent young girl who had been orphaned, and when her mother and father died, the cousin of her parents, we don't know if it was her mother's or her father's cousin, stepped in to be her parent. Her cousin's name was Mordecai, and he basically raised her after she became an orphan. Um, We know that the Bible tells us that Esther was lovely and that she became known as Esther, which meant was the Persian name for star. Now, it could have been that her Jewish ancestry was a problem. Maybe Mordecai was trying to protect her from being hurt, and he said, we're going to just kind of blend in, and that's why you're going to be named Esther. We don't know if she had already been going by that name before her parents were killed. We don't know. And it's likely that her parents' death was related to their Jewish ancestry the fact that they were Jews. And and fear of that happening to Esther, it's possible that her cousin Mordecai said, we're going to protect you, you're going to go by Esther. Right. So she kept her Jewish name Hadassah a secret. She kept her Jewish ancestry a secret. And she was one of the young, innocent girls who was scoped out and... For the very first beauty pageant in time. And unfortunately, this is completely by force. This was not a choice. This was not a, would you like to come and be in this beauty pageant? This was a... Robin knows a little bit about beauty pageants. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, I... For listeners that you're confused what Jill's referring to, in 1991, I was Miss Oklahoma National Teenager and Miss National Teenager, and it was really fun, and it was really cool, but I will tell you, it was not like poor Esther. This was, I had the choice to do it, and um, it was a wonderful time way back when. So anyway, this is a forced beauty pageant that meant she would never see her home again. She was taken away from Mordecai and every one of her friends and family members, whoever else she knew, she was taken to the palace where she was given beauty treatments for 12 months. This is an intense regimen. Six months for the fragrances. Six months for the ointments. This was like intense. This is crazy. This is like a whole year of spa day. Yes. 
Which partly sounds kind of cool that she got to go to a spa, but honestly, how how terrible that like she was. You have to be perfect. You yes. know, going in, you have to look perfect. Now, there was something very cool that the Lord provided for Esther. Once Esther got to the king's harem, she immediately was protected by someone who she found favor with, one of the eunuchs named Haggai. And he he really favored Esther and wanted to help her and wanted her to have success. And she pleased him. She won his favor. He provided her with really excellent care and a great place. And so every day, Mordecai would just come and check. He'd kind of walk by the gates to, you know, outside of the harem, just find out bits and pieces, maybe see Esther as she was on an afternoon walk or something. So here's how this whole story would lay out. Every one of these young, beautiful virgins would have one night and one night only with the king, which I'm sure you readers and listeners know this is not just a let's have dinner. This was, right. they were basically raped. And they had absolutely no other course of action but to go along with the king. And it was absolutely a matter of life and death. He could easily have had any one of them executed if they refused him. And if he asked for them again by name, they might see him again. But you know what happened to most of these girls? They were just sent back to live with Queen Vashti in Basically, in the harem where they would never come the out rest again. of their days. Right. And they would never be able to get married. They would never, well, I guess they would be considered a concubine of the king, but they would never be able to have a family of their own. Right. Which is just a terrible fate. But Esther, this is where we get to really an exciting part of the story. Her special day arrived. She took the advice of Haggai, who was over her care, and followed everything he suggested. This went very well for her because we see in Esther 2, chapter chapter 2, verse 17, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won the grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that, drumroll please, he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And then, here we have another party, Jill. The king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. And he even said, hey, everybody, you get a tax break and gave everybody (laughs) gifts in her honor. All right. So here's now we know Queen Esther has been made queen. And here's kind of an important subplot that happens. Mordecai was known to sit by the king's gate as just a part of his routine, what he would do. And he overheard two of the king's eunuchs who were guards of the threshold talking and making a plan about killing the king. He immediately went and told Queen Esther. Esther told the king and said, my cousin Mordecai has let me know this. And immediately this was investigated. The king found the two plotters and they were killed. They were hanged on the gallows immediately. And it was written in a book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king which is an important detail to notice Mm -hmm. for what happens in a few pages. (laughs) So, as the king intended to reward Mordecai, he he was going to, but then he just, you know, he got He just forgot. He had other feasts to plan. (laughs) He had things to do. So, as time goes by, the king appoints a guy named Haman 
to be one of his most important rulers, and he was above all the officials who were with him. And so everybody was commanded to pay homage to Haman. So they would bow down and basically worship him. But you know who didn't? Mordecai. Haman started noticing that Mordecai did not pay him honor. And so he was furious about this. And he was talking with his fellow leaders about this. And instead of just punishing Haman, they said, why not just punish all the Jews? And so, Because he knew that the reason that Haman wouldn't bow down, down to him was that he served... He served God. He he was right. he was not going to not do what his morals told him and what he knew God wanted him to do, and that was the true of the Jewish culture and of the Jewish people. So instead of just like let's get rid of this one person who won't bow down to you, because probably the others won't either. Let's just get rid of all of them. And as you can see, when you look through the Bible, the people of God have been at various times in history they have been treated terribly because of their faith. Um, The Egyptians made them slaves. Uh, They were taken captive into Babylon. And then, of course, in the World War II era, we know that they were attempted to be made extinct by the terrible Hitler. So Haman is like a precursor of Hitler. His goal, his plot, is to exterminate all the Jews throughout the entire Persian Empire. 127 provinces. He wants them all destroyed, not just the men. He wants men, women, children, no survivors. This is an evil, evil man. Mm -hmm. Complete genocide. Yes. And so for the, another important part of the story is that when they were choosing a day to have this genocide, they used pure, which is what the Bible tells us is casting lots. So Esther 3 verse 7 tells us that in the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pure before Haman day after day, and they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, there's a certain people, notice he's very ambiguous with this knowledge, a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. They do not keep the king's laws. Let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I will even pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business. So this is a terrible plan and the king because he's like, hey, 10,000 pieces of silver? Sure. He just greedily accepts this. He doesn't even know which group of people it is. Haman doesn't tell him it's the Jews. He says, yes, here's my signet ring. You go ahead. The money's given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. This is a terrible thing. So then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and an edict, according to all that Haman commanded, was written to the king's satraps, the governors, over all the provinces, to the officials of all the peoples, to everyone in all their languages. And it said that on that specific day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, that the Jewish people would be annihilated, young and old, Men, women, and children, and their goods would be plundered. This terrible news went out, and all the people knew about it. Now here is where our story brings us back around to Esther. When Mordecai learned that all all that had been done, he 
clothed himself with sackcloth and ashes. And Esther was hearing this report about it. Esther sent her eunuch, Hatak, that attended her, and she said, you need to go to Mordecai. Find she out. She had heard that he was in such distress. Yes. Like the, the people around that knew Mordecai, knew Esther, came to her and was like, he is in great distress. He's in sackcloth and ashes. He won't wear the clothes he, you sent him. He's crying. Like, you've got to figure out what's going on. So then Mordecai's like, oh, here's what's going on. He showed a copy of the written de- decree to Hatak. So immediately Esther was informed about this entire thing. And you know what Esther's response was? This was a time that she said, we need to pray. And she was afraid to go talk to the king. She was afraid. But Mordecai said to her one of the most important things that we see in the book of Esther. And this is found in Esther 4, verse 14. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So when people say that phrase, because we hear that a lot, especially in church, like for such a time as this, that's this is exactly where it comes from. Mm-hmm. That Esther was possibly, was put in that position in the palace for this time, for this event. And we see that God's plan, which we're we're watching it unfold, it was so great, better than anything that Esther or Mordecai could have imagined. And Esther was in the right place at the right time to obey the Lord and do this important thing. This is so key. If she had been too afraid, if she had said no, she would have missed out on being used by the Lord in this incredible way. Esther's response to this important message from Mordecai was, Okay, go gather all the Jews, hold a fast, everybody, pray, do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And she's going to, I'm also going to do the same. So this is a time to fast and pray to go before she goes before the king. Now let's talk about why this is a big deal. Why could she not just go in if she, you know, anytime she wanted to talk to the king? You could only go to the king if the king called for you. There was a, no time that you would just be like, I just want to go see my husband and see what's going on with him and how his day was. That was not the case. You did not go to the king unless you were summoned by the king, unless he gave you permission to come, because otherwise you could be killed. And we don't know. In the Bible, we do not know the reason, but the king had not summoned Esther for 30 days. This is kind of... Disconcerting. He's busy partying. Yeah, and probably seeing other harem girls. I mean, but the fact that he hadn't summoned her in thirty days made her quite nervous. What if she walked into his throne room and he said, "I don't want to see you, execute her," which he most certainly could have done, and no one would have lifted a finger to help her. They would have just obeyed. Esther, after praying and fasting, and knowing that all these people were praying and fasting for her, was so brave. And so bold, and she obeyed God. This is where we can see in this story the divine providence of the Lord to use her in the time she was, to use her courage, her integrity, and for her to realize her responsibility in this moment, that she needed to take courage and just do this. So she went before the king. She put on her royal robes. She stood in the inner court. 
While she did this, the king saw Queen Esther. She won favor in his sight. He held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Yay! So she's not going to die. Yay. (laughs) So Queen (laughs) Esther approached. She touched the tip of his scepter, and he says, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, and now another party, Jill. She says, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. So let's talk about... She knows the way to his heart. Yeah. Why do you think she invited Haman as well as the king? Well, the plot will thicken. That's right. She's going to try and gain some trust, Mm -hmm. gain some insight with Haman. So he has no idea what's about to happen. And they don't know that she's Jewish. Haman doesn't know putting out this edict that he did, that that's going to include Esther. Mm -hmm. Not that it would have mattered to him necessarily, but in his mind, when she calls for him to come to the party as well, he thinks he is the biggest deal. Mm -hmm. And this shows also Esther is very patient. This is a slow game. And she is not, she doesn't walk right into the king's throne room and say, right then and there. Here's what the story is. You've got to stop this. She is patient, and she uses the intelligence that she has been given by the Lord. So she plans this feast. Now, this before the feast has actually occurred, Haman's so excited, joyful, and glad of heart, it says in Esther 5.9. And as he's going out, he's so excited. He's celebrating. And then who does he see? Dun-dun-dun, but Mordecai. Mordecai. <laughs> And of course, Mordecai did not rise in his honor. Mordecai did not bow down to him. So Haman is just filled with wrath. He goes home. He talks to his wife, Zeresh. He brings all his friends around. And then he just has a Haman party. Like, everybody, let's talk about how great I am. What do you think of me? What do I think of me? Let's talk about me. (laughs) And he's just having this big moment. I've been invited to go to have a banquet with the queen. I'm the only person that Esther's invited to accompany the king. And you know what? That dirty Mordecai won't even bow down to me. Well, of course, all his friends and family just rally around him, and they're like, well, you should kill him. I have a great idea. Why don't you build a huge gallows 50 cubits high, which honestly is just enormous. It's like a 75-foot height which is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And we're picturing probably a rope hanging with a noose. This would be more like a spike. Right. A huge spike. So we have this... This is more of an impaling than a hanging. which is super gory. But (laughs) they say, let a gallows 50 cubits high be made. In the morning, just tell the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Now you can go joyfully have your feast. Haman says, snap my fingers, it shall be done. And he orders this gallows to be made. And I guess he had a lot of workers because they got it made, like right then. So, okay, this is an important part of the story. Why do you think the king could not sleep that night? Hmm. It's because the, the Lord made sure he was awake. So, the king is up in the night. He goes and reads the book of Chronicles. Remember that that's where the story was written, how Mordecai saved the king's life, telling about the plot of his assassination. The king is thinking to himself, Huh. Nothing's been done for him. He finally realizes. Mm. I told Mordecai I was going to do this, and I never said thank you. Got drunk and partied, and totally <laughs> forgot <laughs> that one, just that one time. Got drunk and partied. So, as the very moment 
Haman is getting ready to walk in to say, hey, can I please hang Mordecai, who won't bow down to me? That very moment, the king is trying to think of a way to honor Mordecai. Haman walks in that very moment, a beautiful moment of providence, the timing of the Lord. And in Esther 6, verse 6, Haman came in. The king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Haman said to himself, Who would the king delight to honor more than me? So he says this elaborate result. Oh, royal robes Let the that the king is even worn. And a horse the king has ridden should be his ride. And he should wear a royal crown. And the most noble official in the land should lead the horse through this through the city saying this is how the king honors those who he delights in and then oh my goodness what does we what do we find out in verse 10 and then so the king tells him this is that's a great idea great plan go get mordecai he's the one i'm going to honor with all of the things you just suggested what a great plan leave what a good nothing idea. Out. leave, leave none of these things out go get mordecai <laughs> this is what we're going to do so Haman is just in absolute mortification. He is so upset. He has to do this wonderful, elaborate, elaborate honoring plan that he wanted for himself for his despised and hated enemy, Mordecai. And he has to be the one to lead it. Yes, and he does it. So he does this. This is the day of the big you know, banquet. So everything's happened. Uh, he has to. He's finished his little parade <laughs> for Mordecai. He goes to the feast. They're sitting there. They're drinking wine. They have this lovely evening, and it's the king and the queen and Haman. They're sitting there talking. The king says to the queen, "What can I give you? What wish do you have? Even up to half of my kingdom." Now, this is where you may be surprised to hear the answer because you might think, "Well, right now she's going to say this is the perfect moment," but instead. Esther's still patient. Esther's still wise. She's waiting for just the right time. And the Holy Spirit inside her must have told her this is not the right time. So she said, can I give you another banquet tomorrow? Let's have another feast. (laughs) Another party again with the parties. So the king and Haman agree. And let's just come back tomorrow. So that's exactly what happens. And the king and Haman come the next day to have the next second feast. And again, after the feast, the king says, what is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. All right, here's where we get the big moment. Drum roll, please. Esther 7, verse 3, Queen Esther answered. If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, Let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who has dared to do this? And Esther said, What do you think Haman's thinking in this second day? (laughs) Like this second, whatever, whenever the king is like, who would even do that? What, I think who his, are your people? His blood's ice in his veins at this moment. He's thinking, she's talking about me? Is this me? And she says, a foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. 
Okay, so the king gets so mad, he has to just take a little walk to cool down for a second. He goes to pace back and forth, and while he's pacing, Haman is losing it. He's falling to pieces. He literally falls down, and he's like falling on the couch to just beg for mercy, but it looks pretty bad because as the moment he's losing it, falling down, that's when the king comes back in, and you know what it looks like to him? It looks like he's molesting his wife. Yeah. Haman's making a move on my wife? What? Because the king says, will he even molest the queen while she's with me in the house? So guess what? This is the moment that the reversal of destiny happens that Mordecai had been unknowingly waiting for a gallows that Haman had built for him. But guess who goes to the gallows? It's Haman. In fact, that very moment... The king orders for him to be killed. He's basically on the gigantic stake. That he had built. <laughs> for Mordecai. <laughs> Haman is killed on it. All of his property is given to Mordecai. Everything is given to Mordecai. And then Mordecai is raised to a level of leadership and honor. And that, power. And power in the king's kingdom. This is unbelievable moment. But hold on, because There's didn't more. the king give an edict, and that's not to be overturned. Can't and he'd overturned. already put his stamp on it, his signet ring. Mm-hmm. So now what happens to the Jews? So now what happens is, since he couldn't reverse the edict, he let Mordecai make another edict. And this second edict changed everything, because it told the Jews in all 127 provinces, that on that day, which was supposed to be their day of annihilation, that those Jews were told, you are allowed to gather, defend yourselves, destroy any enemies, kill and annihilate any armed force of any people or province who might attack you, to who might attack your children, your women included, to plunder any enemy. And this changed everything because the Jews were ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. Wow. Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white with a great golden crown, a robe of fine linen and purple, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And guess what happened? On the day of that 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, This carried out. The Jews had victory. They took power over their enemies. They plundered their enemies. And the ten sons of Haman were killed as enemies. And this is a big deal. The entire provinces, all 127 provinces, celebrated. And it became such a day of rejoicing that, remember how we talked about the pure, the casting of lots? They now celebrated this day, and they still to to this day. In fact, in the month of March of 2022, the celebration of Purim happened for Jewish believers. They celebrate the deliverance of their people. And this is the beautiful story of Esther. And what we can see, the moments we see in this of Esther's bravery, Esther's obedience, Esther's call to fasting and prayer, um, the doing exactly what she knew would call it possibly could have cost her life, but she knew that for such a time as this, she was in the place and time she was in. 
And this amazing story gives us courage and bravery to know when we're faced with an unspeakable circumstance that seems impossible, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. And the trajectory and the things that we think we're doing and the way that it looks hopeless to us sometimes, God will use that to turn it and make it a story we had no idea would ever happen. Mm-hmm. So there we have it. And I know that since Esther is quite a bit longer, you know, it's an entire book with 10, verse, 10 chapters, we spent a little more time on Esther than we have on our other characters. So we're going to slide over from the Old Testament to the New Testament to talk about one of the most beloved women of the Bible now. In this part, we're just really going to talk about young Mary before Jesus came. So it's just going to be kind of a snapshot picture of Mary, not her whole story. But um, it's one of the most beloved and most known pieces of literature about her. So first of all, let's talk about the culture at that time. So now we're moving several hundred years later. After the 400 years of silence that happened between Old Testament and New Testament. And this is a culture that is we've talked about before is huge on hospitality that was one of the biggest things that would have been honoring it's also a very communal culture so everybody knows everybody you sometimes marry cousins and people in your family everybody is together everybody does things together they get water together they do all those things together the girls when they would get married or get betrothed to a man were very young and again this is that culture this is that time period so mary at this point in the story is probably possibly about 12 years old which sounds way too young but whatever her body would have been ready to right because that's the thing it's whenever the girl was had started her period and was ready to have babies that's when they would get married Mm -hmm. that's so they were waiting for that time in a girl's life for them to get married and Start a family. So we don't know exactly how old Mary was when this happened for her, but we know that she had not been um, waiting for years to get married after that because that was not the culture. No. We're not talking about a 26-year-old young girl getting married. We're talking about probably a 12, maybe 13-year-old. Yeah. So she is already betrothed to Joseph, who is a very well-liked, well-honored person in their community. And quite a bit older. Quite a bit older, but he loves Mary, and he wants to marry her, and he wants to take care of her. And even though it's, it seems like a strange thing in our time period, it was kind of a great love story that he just really honored her and wanted to love her. So, and Mary's name, Mary is not a Hebrew name. Her name was probably actually Miriam, hmm. because that's that was the Hebrew term of Mary at the time. Um. So, Mary had one of the hardest yeses to give of anybody in the Bible, Mm -hmm. of what she was asked to do. So, let's look at Luke 1, starting in verse 26. At this point, before we start this, Gabriel the angel has already come to Zechariah to tell him that he was going to have a baby. And that baby was going to be John the Baptist, and he was a special child. And, and these, Elizabeth had waited for years and years. And, and they were never, an older yeah, couple. Yeah. So they did not expect that they would ever be able to have children. So when he hears the news, when Zechariah hears the news, 
What is his reaction to that? He says, how can I be sure of this with doubt? Yes. I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. And then Gabriel said, I've been sent to speak to you, to tell you good news, and now you will be silent and not speak until the baby's born. So because of his questioning and the way that it was done, he was kind of not, he was kind of disciplined a little bit for that. Oh, yeah. And we'll come back to that because there's a whole different questioning later on. But so Elizabeth and Zachariah have been told that they are going to have a baby. It's going to be the man that comes right before Jesus. He's going to be a great man. Here's the rules. You're not going to cut his hair, da, 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 all these things. So then in the uh, in verse 26, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, which that's kind of a big deal. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So, okay, let's let's think about this. This great angel appears before her and is like, hey, you're highly favored. Good for you. What a shocking, shocking, amazing, fantastic moment. Uh, But scary, too, I think. Well, Mary was greatly troubled at at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give you will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Mm-hmm. So Mary's response, similar to Zachariah's, How will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is now in her sixth month, but nothing is impossible with God. So how come Mary asked a similar question but was not silenced? That's a good question. It it must have had to do with her heart. Exactly. I think it had to do with her heart, with the tone. I think Zacharias was kind of a scoffing of like, how could that be? I'm an old man. Mm-hmm. And Mary's was a genuine question, a genuine a genuine curiosity. So some of this may be things like we were also told later that Mary ponders things in her heart. Mm-hmm. This may have been a part of her personality. She was curious. She just wanted to know the logistics. She wasn't questioning if it was going to happen. She just wanted to know... I don't understand how this would happen because I'm not with a man. Joseph and I aren't married yet. We're just engaged, which once you're engaged in that culture, you're basically thought to be married. The only way to break an engagement back then was a certificate of divorce Mm -hmm. or if somebody died. So it's basically a commitment like a marriage, but they had not been together. And they were probably very close to the actual wedding ceremony since they were betrothed, but all of the things that were being prepared by making, you know, gathering the dowry or whatever her family had to gather and do, that was probably in the works. And they were just in the in-between time before she became his wife. Right. And it's it's said that Luke was said to have gotten this story from Mary herself. So this may be the most, the closest interpretation, the most accurate interpretation of the story. Also, in those 400 years before 
um, between the Old and New Testament when everybody thought that God was silent, there weren't a lot of prophets coming along, there didn't seem to be a lot of movement. It's not that God was silent. There were things happening and groundwork being laid to get these things ready and in place. There was a common language being started. There were roads being built so they could travel. John the Baptist had to come first. So there was all of these things kind of coming in place. So sometimes when we think God is silent or we don't know what he's doing or we can't see him moving, it doesn't mean that he's not. It means that there's other things being set in place so that when the time is right, those things can come. Mm -hmm. So Mary's response, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. So I think exactly what you said. It was a matter of the heart. Zachariah asking was more of, I don't know that I believe that. And hers was more of a just a logistical, practical question of like, I don't understand how that would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Gabriel did not tell her, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. We've got a plan in place. Everything's going to work out. It's going to be it's going to be great. You're going to have this beautiful baby. You and Joseph will get married. Everything will work out just fine. She wasn't told that. She doesn't know that. She doesn't know if she's going to be killed because she knows that people, even in her family, are not going to believe her. I mean, think about if somebody you know comes to you and is like, guys, I'm pregnant, but I'm still a virgin. I promise. I promise I'm still a virgin. Like, I haven't done anything. But I'm pregnant. What are your first thoughts going to be? There's no way. Right. So, and they would have been killed at this time period because it would have been thought, they knew she wasn't with Joseph, so it would have been thought, who have you been messing around with? Which we know from the woman caught in adultery, you can get killed for that. Oh, yeah. So, she does not know that it's going to be fine. It was not a safe yes. This is not a safe, okay, the angel told me everything's going to be cool, it's not a big deal, he's going to take care of it. It's likely that she was scorned for years. It's likely that she was treated terribly for a long time right? because of this. It was not easy. Nope. Some of the highest and holiest things we will be called called to will be the hardest things we will be called to. So when we're called to things that are hard and they're scary, those are sometimes the holiest things we're called to. So at this time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Remember, she's pregnant with John the Baptist. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me as as soon as she heard the sound of your greet as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears the baby in my womb leaped for joy blessed is she who come blessed is she who has believed that what the lord has said to her will be accomplished mm-hmm. and mary ran to elizabeth's house so why do why do we think she ran to elizabeth well because the angel the angel had told her elizabeth by the way elizabeth's pregnant Maybe as a, hey, if you need a safe place to go, I'm giving you a hint where to go. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth's also pregnant. She's going to have a baby that has something to do with your baby. So you, if you need to get out of here, you got a place to go. So she did. She left and she went to see Elizabeth because, as we've said before, her life was in danger at that time. Mm -hmm. 
And she knew Elizabeth would believe her because Elizabeth was also pregnant right. in a miraculous way. Right, right. Not quite as miraculous as a virgin birth, but very miraculous still. <laughs> yes. So then we know the rest of... I really just wanted to kind of talk about this part of Mary's story and how her yes was such a hard yes to say, but she did anyway. She trusted, even though she did had no idea how it was going to turn out. I think we read this sometimes and just think... We don't always see Bible characters in 3D, so we just think, oh, okay, the angel told them that, so then this is what happened. But if we really think about these as actual people with feelings and emotions and fears, it kind of changes it that you're you're talking about a 12-year-old girl who gets this news, knows she may be killed for it, but she still says, okay, if that's what you say, if, you, if that's what God has told me to do, that's what I'm going to do. That attitude, I am the Lord's servant. That's it. It's amazing. It is. What a blessing to hear that. (laughs) So we didn't spend a whole lot of time on Mary today or the New Testament because we we knew we were going to spend more time with Esther. But I think it's also still an important story to think about how young she was and Mm -hmm. how obedient she was to God anyway. Mm -hmm. With a joyful heart. Yes. And, oh my goodness, I just wonder, was anyone kind to her? We know, was her, did her mom believe her? Well, we know, know Joseph didn't at first. Right, he didn't. He planned to quietly divorce her. But he still loved her so much. Mm-hmm. He, was, he could have said, I don't believe you. We're going to have you stoned. I want nothing to do with you. I don't want to see you again. He didn't do any of those things. He didn't necessarily believe her at first, but he, he said... I'm going to quietly give her a certificate of of divorce, get her out of here so she's safe. So he still was trying to look out for her, but he didn't believe it until he had his own dream with the angel coming to him and saying, no, 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 this is all God's plan, and what she's telling you is the truth. Mm -hmm. And then he did believe her. He was truly a good man of God. He just needed, needed a little help, too. To understand that this was mm-hmm. true. So, I mean, there's probably a lot of her family that didn't believe her because Joseph didn't believe her, and then an angel had to come and personally tell him the truth. Mm-hmm. What a sweet moment that she must have had with Elizabeth. To have that, oh, she believes me, and oh my goodness, that God already told her before I even had to say it. God already told her that this is the Messiah inside right. me. Yeah. (laughs) It's amazing how kind of the Lord to give her that, the comfort of that relationship. So listeners, thank you for spending some time with us talking about these two extraordinary women. We have one more episode in the summer series that we're doing. So we will be back in a couple weeks. And if you want to read ahead, we're going to talk about Mary and Martha in the New Testament. We spent one episode just in the Old Testament. We're going to spend one episode just in the New Testament. And Mary and Martha are some amazing sisters. We're going to look at both sides of their story because you know what? They've got, they both have a side to tell. Absolutely. We are so glad that you're listening to Afraid Not. We hope it's an encouragement in your life. And let us know if there's any specific topics you're looking forward to us dealing with in the future. Message us on social media. Um, We sure hope that you will share this show with a friend so that other people can be encouraged in their faith, we hope. Thanks for listening.